sensed it as we were worshiping, singing a new song to the Lord, that the Lord was ministering to us. Uh, I think there was impartations given, even as we were worshiping. Amen. Man, I just really sensed the Lord giving, 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 giving. I'm excited. You can be seated. I, uh, again, welcome back, John. It's so awesome to have John back. It's good, good to have him home. All that the Lord did through him, we're going to hear some about, uh, maybe a little today. We're going to see. I know he's still wrapping his mind around everything, so I'm not going <coughs> to expect, I'm not going to put him on the spot, if you will, hugely today. But I just really, as, uh, as we were worshiping, there were some things the Lord, even before worship today, before we actually got started, we were here, and the team was practicing, and uh, the presence of the Lord was just really strong. Man, we had just a meeting <laughs> And uh, there's some things I believe the Lord's wanting to to say to us today. And and one, this is uh, I got a a prophetic word I'm going to say from Rodney this morning. Uh, and this may be one of a few times he's ever done that. Uh, and here I'll just read what he said. Some people are coming this morning uh, because they think. It's just what you do on Sunday. They're coming to get their religious time card punched. They look at me, this is the Lord, as an hourly God. But if they want to see me, they, but if they will see me as a salary God, they would understand that I'm there all the time. They would have the benefits for walking to me and understand I am full, a full-time God. I have their best interests in mind. They try to do so much on their own. And it's so much easier to put me first and let me handle it. Let me be your first option, not your last. I love my people. Seek me and thirst for me. I love, my, I love you, my people. I'm always here, not just on Sundays. Amen. That, that he is here. And it's not just when we come in. I, I thank God that he's outside of time, but I'm thankful that he gives us time because it's something that we can relate to. It's something that we can wrap our minds around. You with me? But he's not bound by it. Uh, and in that thing that, you know, he's with us all the time. He's here for us. And as I was meditating on that, uh, the Lord is in worship, this reading his word, meditating on his word. And then uh, I just really believe that we're not just here today to do a thing, that we're here today because the Lord uh, desires to meet with us. You know, that's not just this Sunday. That's not just this Sunday. That's his heart, that every Sunday that we gather, that we gather corporately for a purpose. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That we gather, we gather on purpose for a purpose, and that's that he be high and lifted up. And as he's high and lifted up among us, that he, he says that he, when he resurrected, when he came, he came from hell, he defeated hell in the grave, and he brought gifts and he gave them to men. That's a good thing. That wasn't just when he resurrected. That's his desire. When God comes. When we, and let me, un, let me clarify this. When we, we've been singing, Lord, pour out your spirit. I think he, uh, you may be thinking, well, I thought he did that on the day of Pentecost. He did. 
He did. But Ephesians says, don't be drunk with wine where there's excess, but be ye being filled. Be being filled. There are outpourings. There's the initial. Even in our walk with the Lord, there's salvation. And after salvation, there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit where there's a, a immersion in His Spirit. But after that, there are those times when He just comes. As a matter of fact, John 14, 21, that's what He said. He that loves me... Uh, loved my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. And that word manifest there means to visibly show. So what God is saying is, I desire not just to, for you to gather, but I, de- I desire that when you gather, you set your eyes on me that I will manifest. And that's the tangible presence of the Lord among us. How many of you know when Jesus showed up in the room, things changed? They didn't do religion as usual when Jesus showed up in the room. Right? And I believe the same thing is true for us today, that many times we gather, and the word that Rodney gave, it's so easy to gather sometimes just out of, and I hate to say out of tradition, but we do it out of discipline, out of habit, because this is what we do, because we're Christians and we gather. And, uh, you know, peradventure, there's one in here who hasn't made Jesus the Lord of their life. You were probably brought here by somebody who's a Christian. (laughs) Who does this regularly? Are you with me? Everybody with me? But I believe that the Lord's saying, there's so much more I want to do when you gather. And in this day, it's especially important that we acknowledge that. The day that we're living in. The season that we have. One of the most exciting times on earth. It's so easy. If you look at what's going on in the world, it's easy to go, man, it's dark. Man, it's... And here's what's, here's what's sad. What I've seen is the church likes to respond instead of act. The church sees something and they respond to it. And in reality, what you're doing is responding to the enemy. If it's something that's darkness, you're responding to him instead of acting on the truth of the word. Now, I don't mean there's never a time that we don't respond, but I'm just saying, in general, most of the time, you know, we're on the defense, not on the offense. It's like the guy in the ring. You don't want to know where he is when he keeps hitting you. He's over there. I mean, hit him back. He's over here. I better hit him back. That's not what you want to do. You won't last long in the ring. He'll be hitting you, and you won't even know you're in the room. And that's not his desire for us. And as we were, uh, as we were worshiping, the Lord just uh, highlighted a passage to me, and I went back and, and started reading a little before it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, You know, this is, uh, this is just a precious scripture. This whole passage right here is just really sweet to me. But in verse 13, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. Uh, it says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. But if we are of sound mind, it is for you. <laughs> I can relate to that verse a lot. Because what Paul's saying is, he said, if we're crazy, we're crazy for God. But peradventure, we be in our right mind, it's so that we can communicate to you. And sometimes you may think, well, I'm not sure he knows where that line is. Uh, but it's all good. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then what? All died. What is he talking about here? He's talking about positionally. If one died for all, 
then all died with him. Isn't that what the scripture teaches, that we were crucified with Christ? What? Nevertheless, we live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live, what? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we died. Paul wants you to see, and I forget who I heard uh, say this this week, but it just it quickened on the inside of me. Uh, and it was basically this. Until you know your past, you won't be able to live your future. What he's saying is we died with him, past tense. And you won't ever live resurrected lifestyle with him until you know that you died. So to get to our future, I mean, to really live in the present, we've got to know our past. (laughs) Amen? But where we miss that is we get caught up on our past of the old man, not the new man. We set our eyes on the mistakes of the past instead of the forgiveness at the cross. Now, that's not an excuse to continue. Jesus never made excuses for lifestyles, but he also said, he always said, repent and don't do it anymore. I don't condemn you. That's what he told the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? He said, I don't condemn you either. Where's your accusers? She said, there aren't any. They're gone. He said, I don't condemn you either. Go and send them. Repent. Change your mind. Change the way that you live and go and sin no more. But what he was saying is today, he looked at her and he could have said this, today, your past changed. Today, your past changed. He said, we all, if one died for all, then all died. And the the word compels there. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And the word compel there, it means grips tightly, to hold together. (laughs) The love of Christ, it grips me tightly. It holds me together, understanding that one died, and in his death, we died also. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Verse 1 of chapter 6, we then, as workers together with him, with Christ, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Verse, the last part of verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. 
Now is the day of salvation. And that word salvation, we've shared before, it doesn't just mean now's the day to get born again. Does it contain the new birth in it? Absolutely. He just talked about it, right? Right? Okay, he just talked about that, but it's not. It, doesn't, it contains the new birth, but it's not contained by the new birth. That makes sense. So in it, there is the new birth, but the new birth doesn't, isn't the sum total of what it is. The salvation is his life in us, imparted to us. Isn't that what this says? In context of this verse, isn't that what he's teaching us? That you were old and in sin, but that you died, and when you came alive, you became a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And you say, well, you were preaching that four years ago. Amen. Thanks for noticing. But my point is not in the fact that we're new new creations as much as I, you know, I think it was Josh a year or so ago. He said, man, Todd's preached it so much, I finally got it. I'm a new creation. <laughs> and uh, I was like, praise the Lord. My job's done. I'll leave now. But in, in the context of this, if we want to stay in the context, he's talking about salvation is ours, that the old is gone, that we died. He even said, I knew Christ after the flesh, but I don't look at him that way any longer. We're a new creation. Old things have passed away. In the context of that, what he's also saying is that we have opportunity that lies before us. That we have opportunity that lies before us. He said, uh, verse 19, that is God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And that's huge. It says that God was in Christ reconciling who? The world. Who? The world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. This is amazing. It's not new doctrine, but it's amazing that I think the Lord wants us to get a hold of today, a fresh and a new, to see it. If you've, if you've read it before, act like you haven't. Just say, God, renew my mind today to this, to understand what you're trying to say, that I would hear it like I've heard it for the very first time. Because, Lord, I believe there's something you want to say to me today, not to my neighbor, not to the person behind me, not to the one up in front of me, but, God, I believe there's something you want to say to me today. He said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So from that statement, that means that our opportunity to reach people for him is pretty broad. Can we agree with that? The world. Pretty broad. The world. And the next thing that he said is so amazing to me. That in Christ, he wasn't imputing the world's sins to them. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Listen, this is what's so awesome. Our opportunity in the world today as believers is not to tell the world they're sinners, but to tell the world there's hope for those who have a sin nature. It's not about their manifestations. It's not about their actions. It's about the nature. It's all about the nature. 
God dealt with a sin nature, not sin actions. Throughout the scriptures, you look at righteousness. He talks about righteousness comes through a nature, and there's fruit to that righteousness. Amen. Just so you don't think I'm pulling it out of the air. Not that you would. Peradventure there may be. Philippians chapter 1, this is Paul. He's praying for the church, the Philippians. I don't believe it was just for their geographical location. I believe it's for us. And as a matter of fact, I pray it for you. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you, if you love one another. I really thought it was kind of cool in here. Is it too warm? Are y'all sleepy? I'm just trying to get some feedback. I can bump the air down where I'm comfortable. I'm kind of warm. Okay, I just, Jeff and I are tracking. Everybody else is, no, no, no. I just don't know if it's too warm because you guys are a little lethargic today, and I'm not good with that. I'm, I can do calisthenic preaching. Thinking, okay, thank you. We're processing. Good, I'll give you permission to process. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. This is the New American Standard. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. He's talking about the return of Christ. So he says here, I'm praying that your love will abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. So what he's saying is not in carnal, earthly knowledge, but in real knowledge, knowledge from heaven that we operate. You know, I believe God wants so much that his people are so in tune with him that they walk like Jesus walked, that the world just looks and goes, I don't understand the wisdom that they walk in. I don't understand how they knew to do that when everybody else was scratching their heads. Isn't that what it was with Daniel? I mean, Daniel saved all the astrologers and soothsayers of his day. If there was a dial-up witch doctor, he saved them. There's a palm reader fortune teller. He saved them, not for the sake of saving them because of their wickedness, but because of who God is. <clears throat> because God gave Daniel wisdom and understanding in all dreams and interpretation. Why? Because Daniel acknowledged that it was God who gave it. And because of it, he saved a lot of them. The king was going to kill them all because nobody could give him an answer of his dream. And they were quick. They were quick. They said, tell us the dream and we'll tell you. He said, no. You tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. Because, see, if they would have told him the dream, they could have made something up. I know y'all have never done that. I'm talking to that other group of people that will be listening to the podcast. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, you tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. Daniel said, all right, let me go meet with the Lord. And the Lord will tell me what it is, and then I'll tell you. Huh? I believe today God's still wanting to do the same thing through us, through people who will listen and who will hear. And the, it may be your workplace, and you go, you're just trying your best to get out. And God said, no, I'm trying to get you in. You may be trying your best to just, to, it's so dark there that you need to leave. Well, how in the world, why in the world would God put a light in a dark place? I can't imagine that. It's beyond me. 
that he would put a light in a dark place. And, and you're struggling and you're thinking, man, I just want to get out of here. And God's saying, I just want to get me out of you. In that place. Why? Because going back to Corinthians, what did he say? He said that we are now ambassadors for Christ. We are sent ones on his behalf. So I believe in that. God's saying, I want you to have real knowledge and real discernment so that you know how to function and act in the, in the environment that you're in. I mean, again, I, I look at, I'm humbled by John. And I'm not just saying this because he's here. But what he did, <laughs> I just be straight, there were several times he was telling me what was going on, stuff like He said, man, I can't wait for you to come. I said, wait, brother, wait. I didn't say it out loud, but I thunk it really loud in my head. I can't wait for you to be here. I can. Really? Sleeping two months now on a blow-up mattress in your tent. Jesus, you're beautiful. But see, John understood this, that he was dead to himself. And alive in Christ. That he was an ambassador. It wasn't that he was a doctor in theology. And he had great wisdom to go impart to these people. He had obedience that said God it's your kingdom. And I'm a son. It's for your glory. So I'll go. And he shared with me. Of times that he would go to speak. And he'd say alright Lord. What do you want to say? And the Lord said here's what I want you to say. And it would be life, and it would be real discernment. I'll just be transparent with you today. I came today, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't know what you want to say. I have no idea. I have no notes. I don't even have a starting place. So if you don't show up, we're going to have a long worship set and call it the Lord. <laughs> I didn't go that far, but it did cross my mind. Because I believe that what he desired, and it doesn't mean preparation is wrong. Last week I was overprepared. Mel said I teach, talk, she's listened to the podcast. She said I preach two messages in one. I said, well, cut them in half. <laughs> he said, I want you to abound. I pray that the love of your love would abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Why? So that you may approve the things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless in the day of Christ. See, we've mistaken excellence for perfectionism. And I'm convinced there are things that God will do that are excellent that the world might not see as perfect. And he said, I didn't call you to be perfect. I called you to walk in excellence. That's a good word right there. And that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Look at verse 11. Here's where I was trying to get. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He said, having been filled, what? With the fruit of righteousness. I was speaking earlier. God's not concerned with the, with the, with the fruit as much as the root. What is the root? Righteousness. What comes from that? I mean, what is the root? I'm a new creation. I'm born again. What's the fruit? Righteousness comes out of it. 
when I understand I'm a new creation, when my attention is set on him, that I'm a new creation, the life that flows out of me is righteousness, it's fruit, that it's for all to see. It'll come out in excellence, it'll come out in discernment. I don't strive for those things. What I do is I set my gaze on him, and as I see Jesus, his beauty is released through me in whatever situation, in whatever circumstance that is. But he said here, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as we set our gaze on him and the fruit of righteousness, he says that you'll walk excellent. He said that you'll be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So what he's, what he's dealing with there is what we can get caught up on in holiness and what we can get caught on in character. And I don't mean holiness as a movement of the way you cut your hair and don't put on makeup and don't wear pants or whatever. I'm talking about the fruit of a life that's been made new. A spirit that's a new creation. And from that, should we live holy? Should we live apart from sin? Absolutely. Should that be our focus? Absolutely not. Our focus should be Him. And as a result of setting our gaze on Him, those things won't be found in our lives. The same is true in the world that we live in. We can look the fruit of sin and start trying to respond and react to the fruit of sin or we can be the ambassadors he's called us to be and share love his love a love that conquered a sin nature that says you don't have to be this way no matter what you're manifesting that's what he told us in second corinthians verse 19 that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Come on. Is that good news or what? What he's given to us is a word of reconciliation. He said, I love you so much. I've given you a word that can tell. You can tell anyone, no matter what your past was, it can die, and you can have a new past so that you can look forward to the future and live today. <laughs> That's a good word. That's, that makes me happy, happy, happy. He's given us... So, you know, to, in that, man, that changes the face of what the world is, or the church is called evangelism. It's not telling everybody how bad they are. It's telling everybody how good he is. And no matter how bad it's been, he's bigger and he's better. It doesn't make light of sin. It makes much of the cross. It doesn't make light of stuff going on in our culture today. I was reading this week in Romans again. I finally got past chapter 1. And I was reading in Romans again, and it just talks in there, a, a lot about the darkness of this day. I mean, he talks about how men's heart will be dark and how they'll leave the natural affection they have and, and all these things that they don't entertain God in their heart. And I look and I go, man, that's the day that we live in. But thank God he didn't start, stop in chapter 2. He goes into chapter 3 and said, all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. But God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, for the longest time in my theological training, 
We would stop at verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's what we would go tell everybody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of them. Not all of them. That's all of them. Everybody. All. But we would stop short of the butt. <laughs> and I'm not going to sing schoolhouse rock to you as I have in the past. But that but, that conjunction is there for a reason. It's joining two thoughts together. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> it's joining, and it says, but God. Hallelujah. See, we have the privilege of being ministers of the but God's. Amen. But many times we let our butts get in the way. I would, Lord, but. I would, but. God, you know, I know it feel like you're telling me to say something to them, but you don't understand. <laughs> Verse 20. I don't know where y'all are going. Bring it back together. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Man, that's just, I've meditated on that a lot in my life, to understanding what an ambassador is and how an ambassador operates. You know, even in the natural, uh, that we, there are still ambassadors in the world today, and an ambassador is one who goes in the name of their king, or goes in the name of their government. And when they go, <clears throat> they operate in the authority of their government, and they operate in the country they're in, in diplomatic immunity. As a matter of fact, the place where they live is called sovereign domain. So they can live in another country, but where their house is, where their embassy is, that's American soil. And everything that goes on there goes on just like they're in America. Shava. That's good stuff. Man, we could just camp there for a moment. But it's not about us being in our place, on our soil, heaven's soil, on the earth, and having everything, all the abundance and all that. That's not the message of the ambassador. His purpose is there. Sorry about that. His purpose... Is to represent the country from which he came. Throughout that country. They don't just go, that's an American. They go, that's America. Come on. He said that we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. So he's saying, as an ambassador, I'm here as Christ representing heaven on the earth. And I have the privilege of telling people there's a love greater than any sin. There's a love greater than any mistake. There's a love greater than any sickness or disease. He's the one. He is the one. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And He came so that you can have life and that you can have it more abundantly.
there's a thief, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe you've been experiencing some of that, stealing, killing, and destroying. But I'm here to tell you today, as an ambassador of love, that love conquers all. <laughs> and you know what? That message is powerful in the ditch. That message is powerful in the country club. That message is powerful in, in the African desert. It's, it's not geographically bound. It's not socially bound. You know, I don't know if y'all knew this or not, but it isn't just poor people, homeless people who need Jesus. There are CEOs. There are plant managers. There are supervisors. There are co-workers who need Jesus. And he said, what I've given you is a precious gift of my love to share with them. But you know what? It takes a dead man to do it. It takes a dead man to do it. And that's what he's imploring for us. He said, if, he, if one died, then all died. Why did they die? So they could stay in the grave? No. Did he stay in the grave? He resurrected. And when he resurrected, I resurrected with him. That in this day, today, October 12th, 2014, that this day, today, he said, I've called you an ambassador. I've called you a guardian, a carrier of my love, of my presence. Man, that's rich. That's just rich. Listen, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he views us as righteous in him. Why? As we saw in Philippians, so that the fruit of that righteousness can be seen around us. We then, look, can you see the theme of what he's wanting them to get? How does he start chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 1? And again, he didn't write it in chapters. Okay? He didn't say chapter 6, verse 1. We then. He didn't do that. He said, we then. Is we singular or plural? Is it exclusive or inclusive? We then. We then. As workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He said, we then, as workers together with him, big H in my book, being with the Lord, Plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace, what? The unmerited favor, the gift of God. Don't receive the gift of God in vain. That he's empowered you. That he's made you a new creation. That in that new creation is the power to be a witness for him. Of what? Of his love. Of his good news. Amen? That's what he has empowered us to do. That's what he's equipped us to do that in this day, that we would not just 
be consumed. And this is sovereign domain. I'm living heaven on earth because wherever I am, he is, and this is his. So don't mess with me. As, as Papa John used to say, I just want to live safely and comfortably till death. Absolutely. Real easy. I mean, again, I'm going to have John share just a little bit in a, mo- in a moment, and next week he's going to share with us. And, uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that was so humbling to me and uh, man, I should have talked to John before I said this. <laughs> but one of the things that was so humbling when we were preparing to go, I uh, I met with John and Jan, and uh, witnessed pretty much a living will that says, if something were to happen to me, here's how I want things to go down. Is he said, I'm, I'm going because I know Jesus told me to go. While I'm there, I may lose my life, but it's okay. I'm going to take care of everything on this side. If that does happen, that it doesn't slip up on anyone, I'm going to have it all taken care of. But I go with an understanding. He didn't go to die. He's back. He didn't go to sacrifice himself for them. He didn't go with a martyr mentality. He didn't go saying, i got to go die for Jesus. That's not what he said. But he said, I'm willing. I know this is the Lord's will for my life. I'm willing to go. And if this happens, then I don't want it to catch my family or anybody off guard. I'm willing to do whatever the Lord has told me to do, no matter what the cost, because he's worthy. That's a dead man. That's a dead man. A smart one made preparations but I was there I was standing in the room I mean it it's like it's just yesterday and they were sitting at the table in front of me and I was just I was undone I was doing all I could do to hold it together I'm thinking God we are so comfortable we get a little bit of persecution we try to share Jesus with somebody and they cuss us out or shut the door in our face or walk off from us or whatever and we allow it to rock our world. Because it's, it can be so comfortable. Because we're an ambassador, bless the Lord. And this is our stuff. Don't touch it. Yeah. You know, I know it's, I could seem like I go from ditch to ditch. And I'm really not a ditch person. I'm right in the middle, Okay. There's nothing wrong with things. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It's when stuff has you, there's a problem. And when you're, you know, like I said, you're not, I, God's used John in my life tremendously for years, ever since we became, he started coming to the church. He's, God's used him to speak into my life. And, um, but as I've walked with him in this, I was just, Thank you, brother. I can't thank you enough. Um, God humbled me, and, and he said, Todd, what are you holding on to tightly? What are you holding on so tightly that you can't let go? Again, in the middle. Not that he's taking stuff from us. 
But what has us so much that we go, man, I couldn't let go of that. Paul said, because we judged us that if one died, if one died for all, then all died. See, I, I believe that we're living in a day that we have an opportunity before us. You know, for evangelism like never before. Like never before. A light's clearest, most clearly seen in a dark place. Right? And I've shared this before. If we all had our little flashlights in here today with the lights on and everybody cut their flashlight on, that would be cool. Everybody's light would be shining. But we're in a room full of light, so it's not that big of an impact. But you walk in a room where there's no light, and it's dark, and you've got your little light. Man, your little light demands attention. Because it's not competing with all the other lights. So here's what I'm convinced of, that he's placed in us. He said while he was here, I'm the light of the world. Then when he was leaving, he said, you're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill. It can't be hid. You don't, put a, you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You set it on a candlestick so the whole house can see. He said, I've given you a light. How cool is this? So your house can see. Your house is determined by your area of influence. Tommy Barnett told the story of an opportunity he had. Tommy Barnett, uh, pastor's Phoenix Assembly of God. Tommy Barnett wrote a curriculum called Saturday Soul Winning Society where people would go out in their neighborhood and just win people to the Lord. And uh, he, he, uh, he's been greatly used of the Lord. And he's uh, in Arizona. And he had an opportunity to speak at an all-African-American conference. And... Uh, he asked the guy who had asked him to come, and he said, why in the world would you ask me? He said, because you're black at heart, Tommy. <laughs> now, I mean, he was a sinner, meaning, man, you're one of us. So he shared how he had the opportunity at this conference to share. And he said he talked about that God has so equipped us that whatever he's called you to do, it's in you. Quit looking somewhere else. He's placed it on the inside of you. That inside of you, God has empowered you to fulfill the destiny that he's placed on your life. So quit looking outwardly. Paul even said they comparing themselves against themselves are not wise. So he said, don't look at everybody else and what they're doing. All I want you to do is look at me and hear what I'm telling you that you're supposed to do. But he preached this message that inside of you is everything that's needed for you to do what God's called you to do. And he said this, man, it wrecks me. He said, this young African-American pastor came up to me. He said, I could tell his suit was a hand-me-down suit. And he came and he said, I came to this conference. And I told the Lord, if you don't speak to me and let me know that this is what you've called me to do and I can do it, I quit. He said, but that message you preached today spoke to my heart. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to try. And that pastor's name was T.D. Jakes. Tommy Barnett said, my world got a little bit bigger. My area of influence got a little bit bigger. You know, John went to Africa. And he went out in the desert. And when he came back into town, there were, there were people who had family in the desert who cried when they heard where he had been. 
Because they said, we got family out there, and we didn't know if they would be reached. Is that right? And they said that you, a white man, would go out there. You know what? I bet where we started, the first passage I started with, if I'm beside myself, it's for the Lord. If I'm my right mind, it's for you. There were people thinking that about John. Who's this? I can say this because I am one. Who's this little white man? <laughs> Over here in Africa. Saying he's going to go in the desert. They'd even talk to him and ask him not to do it, that it wasn't safe. But he knew it was what the Lord had told him to do. You know what? His world got a lot bigger. His area influence got a whole lot bigger. Out of what? Out of his great wisdom and fortitude? No, out of his great obedience. To say, God, I'll do what you told me to do. Praise the Lord. Uh, the good news for you all is that I have 9% battery left on my iPad. <laughs> but actually today all I want to do is just uh, take a minute to underscore a couple things that Todd said. But first, today I have the opportunity to greet the river on behalf of the brothers and sisters in Africa. I've spent three months greeting them for the river uh, and so today they send their greetings and they really send their greetings it that's not just a um, a nice thing to say but I can't tell you how many times they would say please greet the brothers and sisters at the river and um, and let them know how much we appreciate the sacrifice that they've made so that that you could speaking to me that I that I could come and that we could encourage and share with them and they also know that a lot of uh, a lot of what I was able to share has come from the river and from you all and, and from Todd um, so I, I bring you their greetings and um, it was fun I was I, I lived with two specific tribes um, one was the Samburu and I lived with them for about a month and then I also lived uh, in uh, Usangi by Lake Victoria. And the tribe in that area, it's probably, say it's as uh, big as maybe twice Alamance County is an area called Yanza. And the, and the, and the predominant tribe in that area are the Lua. And uh, <clears throat> the Lua are convinced that the, the language of heaven is Kilua, which is, is their tongue. And I, um, so I said, well, you know, I, I, I know a little bit of Kilua. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> Boy, they lit up, and they, from then on, everywhere you'd hear, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> so, so I had a good time with them. But it, 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 it was a int very interesting uh, experience, lots and lots of, of interesting things. But one of the funny things is I had a conference um, last week for um, the primary group of pastors that, that the Lord, that Dad has worked with for some years, and then, and then two Samburu men that Dad didn't know. And so they came together, and what was surprising to me is that these two different tribes, they, they didn't know each other. And they, they were as surprised uh, of, of, of the thing, the customs and the, and, the, and the traditions of each other as I was. And what was funny is I was the one that had lived with both, so I knew more than they knew about each other. And I was the white guy, you know. But uh, a quick little fun story with that, and then I'll just uh, give a couple scriptures and then, and then share later. 
But uh, <clears throat> the Samburu are, they wear, the men wear sheets. And, um, and they like it because it provides, fr- they'll say, fresh hair. Fresh air. So they like the, they like the fresh air feel. Uh, <clears throat> and, um, and then they, and we have staffs. And while I was there, we actually made, the, I made one for myself. And then he gave me uh, one of his that's a really cool um, staff. But they're, they're um, pastoralists. So they're, they're, they say shepherds, but they're shepherds. And so it was a, an awesome time to go and talk about the great shepherd. And they could really relate to, to that because that's been their life for generation after generation after generation. Uh, so much so they don't even have their language in writing. They're an oral community. And so the, the, the groups, the, as the children grow up, they learn to be shepherds, and that's what they do. But... Uh, <clears throat> So they, ha- they always have a staff or something because they're always uh, leading their animals or working with animals, and they like to wear their sheets. So I, I enjoyed that, too. And so we went, <laughs> and uh, so they, they told, they've, they've said that I'm a white Samburu, so they've adopted me in. In fact, I have four goats right now in the desert, which uh, about every six months or so. So by, like, in the next couple of years, I'll have a flock. And... Um, <laughs> And they're all female, so I got four female goats. So they're, they're, so I'm, and then they've also given me a plot to build a, a place. So uh, there's a lot of favor there and, and a real good time. But um, So the Lua, now back down to Lake Victoria. So I go down from a month in Samburu to the Lua people. And uh, so I was talking with Bourne because I really didn't notice anybody wearing a sheet there uh, of the Lua people. And I said, what? Would it be appropriate or what's the deal? And he's like, uh, John... <coughs> To the Lua people, the only time we wear a sheet that a man would wear a sheet is when he's circumcised. So if you wear the sheet, everybody's going to assume that you've just been circumcised. <laughs> and if you wear it longer than three days, they're going to assume you're not healing well. So, <laughs> so I probably wouldn't do the sheet thing. And I was like, got it. So then I was taking, I was first there, but I, I really like the staff. It's really a cool staff, the way you make it and the whole process. And I'm a woodworker, so I liked doing that. But so I was just walking through town and I had my staff. Now, this staff is not just like a broomstick, but as it gets down, it gets a little bit larger and it's kind of got, um, it's got character. It's got uh, like not, not knots, but where it burls out. And so it's really neat. But... Um, I was walking with it, and all of a sudden, this little kid ran up behind me, and he's like, and, he, and so I turned around, and he, tapped, he said something to me, and I turned around and listened, and he said, that boy says he can beat you. And I was like, what kind of spirit am I carrying around if, if these people, well, what I found out is, in their, in their culture, that they thought I was carrying a rungu, which a rungu is uh, a weapon. And, and now the Samburu, the Rungu, is, um, I had some last time, but they're about this long. It has a, a, a burl on the end, or the, or the modern-day ones, the young boys will take lug nuts off of a wheel of a truck and screw it on the end of a piece of wood. And so it's, it's a weapon, and I've seen it used, and it's not pleasant. Um, so, but that's what they carry. Well, the, the Lua, assume if you're carrying anything of a, of a wood like that, that you're carrying a weapon. So they thought I was like walking around like I'm a bad dude, you know, with my big rungu. 
And I, so I couldn't carry my staff anymore. So that's how different within this same country um, that the traditions and the cultures are, are. And then even within their area, their, the, the, the traditions and cultures run very deep and they're very bizarre. So one of the things that we've realized in, in, uh, with, with the ministry is that the challenge in Africa is that it's not on the foundation of a godly culture. And so you have all these pagan cultures um, that are the reason that, that people have spent, sent lots of money and resources, but then after 10 or 20 years they go, well, there's nothing different. You know, what? There, we, there's nothing building, but the problem is it just keeps going into a faulty foundation and it just goes away. Just like Haiti. Haiti is a, more people here are probably familiar with Haiti. And it's just like a black hole sucking resources from America. But when you look, you go, what, what really significant change? Even there are uh, evangelists that have spent years in Africa. And millions of people um, from their statistics have come to the Lord. But you go, Where, where's the change? What, what, what's happening of substance? So what we recognize is that, um, that the challenge is that it's not built on the kingdom culture. So our real call as a ministry is 10, 20, 30-year planning of how do you change the culture of a village. And then we've been given four uh, primary areas to do that. So anyway, I need to, to cut this quickly. But Samburu, I want you to know... Um, these people are listed as one of the unreached people groups. And the reason is um, because it's just uh, very, very difficult uh, and a, a very challenging place to live. Um, so even within Samburu, there's a, an, a town called Maralal. And Maralal is where some of these people have begun to settle so that they could have a school, um, a, a clinic, some shops, um, and eat some uh, uh, more of a variety of food and have what you would in, in that kind of community or setting. Uh, there's about 100 churches in this village. Um, it's, it, you would almost could call it a city. Now, there's no tarmac or pavement within hours of, of this place. It's a very marginalized community uh, in terms of the resources that the government has allowed them. But... Uh, now, when I say churches, too, that could be five Africans in a sound system, So, um, which that's the pastor, his wife, and the leader. And, and so, so it, it, you, know, that's, you have to have that in context. But the point is that within that, there's two men there that I had met a year and a half ago who are pastors, and they said this pastor had been in this organization for years, and his heart is the desert, and they would not uh, support him in that. And he couldn't get anybody to go with him, and his family's from the desert. So that's where a year and a half ago I said, hey, let's go. So we had planned this trip. But what is important that you understand is I was the, 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 the body that was there, the human body. But it was you all that, that sent me along with other believers. So it, the, what ministry happened there is really as a result of you all. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I, I don't, I mean, I, I was honored to be the person that got to go there, but the reason is because you all provided a resource 
uh, and sacrificed. So that's, and that's the way the body works. Not every person is supposed to go to Africa, you know, and, and if everybody did, we'd have a problem, you know, because there ha- nobody would be to support and to pray. Um, one of the significant things in our ministry is Tisha has agreed to be sort of the intercessor for the ministry. That's a huge, huge thing. And so, um, so I just want to make that very clear, that just like it talks about the body, if everybody was the hand, it would be a funky body. I think there was one in the Adams family, didn't they have a hand? A hand? But anyway, and it was kind of strange. We'd have to live in a box, you know? Uh, and it's hard to clap when you only have one hand. So... Um, <laughs> The Africans didn't know what to do with me either. <laughs> but um, so I really appreciate that. I want to underscore, and that's why they send their greetings and say thank you. Thank you to the river for all that you've provided. So the other couple things, just to underscore his message, is in, in Usangi now, um, I was uh, with my very good friend, Born, who's a pastor there. And this is a pastor that started his church with two prostitutes and two addicts. Um, his heart, he just went in and started ministering. He'd be in the street with them. He'd, he'd go to the ditch with them. It's a very, uh, this is a very challenge. It's a fishing village that needs Jesus. And so it's a very challenging area. The HIV in that area is three to four times higher than in the surrounding area because of the lifestyle in this community. Um, and uh, from the water, from the lake, uh, several of my friends there had had typhoid, almost died. So that's kind of a, cons- uh, it happens frequently. So typhoid, HIV. I prayed with a man that had tuberculosis. That's kind of uh, in that community. There's a lot of that. So just a lot of disease and death. Um, young people, just uh, young men and old men, just late, just in the road or they get pulled to the side of the road just because they're drunk. Till they pass out through the day. So all of this going on. So this brother had been called to this fishing village to start ministering. Well, he had a very good friend who ends up being one of the wealthier guys of this village, but who had become an addict. Um, And his primary, we would call him probably an alcoholic. I think most of what he does is is liquor. So we were, um, but he said this friend of his told him, don't ever talk to me when when I'm drinking. Well, the, there's a guest house there um, that uh, has a bar, and we were had parked. We were parking my bike there, and his friend happened. That's where his friend goes every night. And so, but he didn't talk to him because his friend. There's this understanding, but his friend waved at him and said, "Come." So um, he went over and spoke to him, and then I came. I'd put my bike up and was coming back, and uh, and he introduced me. Well, this friend all of a sudden just started opening up, and he's probably. He's probably in his 40s, I'm going to say. And uh, he started opening up, and he just said, hey, I know, I, I know this isn't good, what I'm doing. He had his bottle of vodka and was drinking. And he's a very clean, now this guy, like I said, he's one of the wealthier guys, clean, educated, and he could speak English. So he was, um, I know this isn't good, but he said, I can't sleep. If I don't drink, I just literally, I can't sleep. And it's the only way that I can sleep. There's no other way that I know of. And I said, well, I, I know of a way. And he goes, what's that? And I said, man, Jesus loves you. And I just started speaking to him of the love of Jesus and the peace that, that Jesus had and how that, uh, that Jesus wanted him to have sleep, you know, and, and uh, 
and we talked about it, and he interrupted me, and he looked at Born, and he said, this is a fresh word. This is like, I, this is amazing. Like, and so he just went on, and, I, and so I shared a little bit, and I said, well, you know, uh, it was just that was all that was to be done, just to share a little bit and leave him. And um, when we left, Bourne said, John, you have no idea what just happened. He said, number one, he never lets me speak to him when he's drinking, and tonight he did. Number two, he actually listened to you, and he kept asking me questions. So I spoke, I spoke to him until that, that just kind of settled, and then, you know, it wasn't to preach, but just to share grace and mercy. And, um, and Bourne said, no pastor in this town would have done that. He said, they, the, what they would do have said, man, if you keep drinking, you're going to hell. And until you clean yourself up, you will never, you know, and just, just beat him until he would just, you know. So that's why he would never speak to anybody like that. So that's why that message to him of what, of what Todd was sharing today brought such life. Now, he didn't become a believer at that point, but it opened a door and he began to ask for me. And I believe there'll be a time... Uh, either through Born uh, or myself, that, that he'll come to the Lord. But it really impacted him, a message of grace and mercy, and not the law that you need to change your wicked ways or God will never be pleased with you. So that was a sweet thing. The other thing is because of the giving of um, some other believers that we work with, there's a widow, and I've told you about her before, but um, the condensed, condensed, condensed version is all of her kids, about eight of them, and I've got some video of of the graves. In fact, it's, it was, it, okay, so we were looking at the graves, and there's about four of them that have cement over the top of them, just a cement piece, and that way they're, they're somewhat preserved. It's like a little slab of cement, but then there's three of them that didn't, and so the lady was sharing with me. She said, and she, she was doing this. I took a little video of her, and she said, so when these first ones died, the other three were here to take care and make sure they had the slabs. But the problem is, if you're the last one to die, there's nobody to put a slab over you. So they, theirs are just have some stones over where the bodies were. But all her kids had died, so this woman was left with the grandson. It was all from HIV. The grandson was left that she was trying to take care of, the, now the old mama. But um, she had broken both her legs, and because they didn't have money or she had no, she was left and had nothing then they have never healed. And so she's, she can't walk. And the way she gets around in her little mud hut is there's a stool, uh, just, a, a, just a wooden stool, and she'll sit on it and she'll go. And then she'll try to move from the bedroom into this, the other room of the house, and she'll sit and look out at the door out at the grave. So, so she, a year ago, had asked Bourne to pray for her and he said, oh, okay, well, how can I pray for you? And she said, I want to pray that I'll die because I don't, all my kids are dead. I can't do anything. I can't move. I can't clean myself. I can't clean the house. I can't get food. I'm, I'm, and in Africa, it's tough. I mean, if you can't do, you're, you're done. Well, the church, she, this woman does not and has never gone to their church. But the church, there's a, a widow there that goes uh, throughout the week to wash her to clean the house, to sweep it out, and to take care of the boy, to take him down to the lake and bathe him, and so on. So that's been going on. Well, when I met with her, um, I found that the church, which doesn't have anything, it's made up of all these very poor people, 
um, had saved enough money to buy some tin, and their intention was to fix the house. And you'll see pictures and video. It's really, um, even my son said this, it's a cool-looking house, to a, probably to a guy more than a lady, but it's mud with a mud floor, but it's got a big, um, the roof is all thatch. So it's the classic, and it's a nice one for Africa. But it had been built a long time ago, so now when you're inside the house and you look up, the sun shines through because there's big holes. Well, this poor lady can't move, so she scoots to her bedroom, and when the, uh, the storms come, and they do, um, she pulls a piece of plastic over her and stays awake all night because she's afraid that the walls will fall on her. And they actually, I've got pictures of the walls where they're collapsing. So the church had bought tin and was going to build, um, try to build a house, but they were just way sh short of what they needed. So I talked to a friend of mine here, actually, um, he's on our board, and he's a builder here. And I said, brother, for uh, a small, for $500, we can finish this project. So they, I said, it'd be kind of cool if you guys did it from there, and we can show pictures of homes that you're building in Africa, you know. But this is just built out of poles. The, the longer story shorter of this, because there's a lot more to say about it, but this woman is so touched that people that don't even know her, don't have any, you know, or, you know, that she has, that have no contact or influence would do this for her. But I told her, I said, you need to understand something, that God has called you to be an intercessor, that you have purpose. And the Lord just uh, uh, gave me a word for it to encourage her that she wasn't worthless and she didn't need to die, you know, that he had purpose and that, but, but she needed to understand that and be about, and be about it. And uh, she doesn't know a word of English. And so I would sit there and she'd just go on and on and on and on. She's just like, Ero Kamano, Ero Kamano, which is thank you. Ero Kamano, Ero Kamano. And say, Opakrueth, for thank God and all. And just going on and on and on. So anyway, saying all that, the widow that's caring for her when, we were, when the house was being built, said, John, this is gospel in this area now. That was a term she used. Building this house is gospel in this area. She said the word around the beach now and among the fishermen and the women are, what is going on? What, who, who would build this woman's house? She doesn't have any family. She doesn't even go to these people's church, and they're building this house for her. So I just share those few things to under, underscore uh, some of what Todd was saying, that really the message of grace and mercy uh, was really changing, changing lives there. And uh, I want to encourage you uh, with these. <laughs> one other quick one is I was sitting in a lunch place, and there's these, you know, have you seen the classic on TV where it's sort of like a porch area? Um, you might think of it more as an Arab kind of thing where then you see uh, there's a, an awning and then there's like strings hanging down from it, you know, and you can kind of see through them, but it creates a little barrier. So this place was like this. It was Mama Mike's. In Africa, you're the most, the be and especially in the Lua community, the most honor you could give to a woman or a man if they have had a child would be to call them by their child's first name. So you wouldn't call me John. You would call me Baba Aaron. For Aaron is my son's first name. So this woman's name, her, her son was Mike. So Mama Mike's. And so we became really good friends. And we would sit there. But I was sitting there with Bourne. And, and Bourne knows everybody. Drunks, prostitutes, business people, everybody. So any, everybody's walking by and saying hi. 
So this, he said hi to this girl. And he said, John, she's one of the leading prostitutes in the village. And she comes, she comes up. So then he, he talks to her in Kilua, and they're talking. And then he said, uh, <coughs> I think John has a word for you. And uh, said, so John, what? And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> so that was how my time went in that area. But uh, again, I just told her how much Jesus loves you. He loves you. And was just able to share grace and mercy with her and not judge. And that's just a continuing, uh, and a continuation of what Bourne shares. But they're hearing it from another, you know, another source. So again, I thank you all for, um, for sending and for being a part. There's so much that's happened. The real reason that I went to the desert is the Lord said, Father said, I have sons in the desert. And what he showed me, though, when I was there is not only were they people that didn't know him, but they are those that did know him but didn't know they were sons. Do you see the difference? And you're going to be hearing some messages that there are a lot of children, but there's few sons. And the earth is groaning for the revealing of the pastors. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, of the bishops. No. For the sons. You know, lots of children. So even those that knew him, but... There's a real challenge in Africa because we've taught them a lot of religion and a lot of untruth. And so there's many there. Every week they'll come up and cry and get saved again, you know. And they just have this horrible understanding of who they aren't, you know. But they think it's who they are. So that's been a, a, a big opportunity. And um, anyway, I have to quit. There was so much going on. I want you all this week to read Ephesians 1. And I want you to look at the, in, after verse 3, when you're reading it, um, it says, it talks about us and we, but I want you to say I, and read it. But then <clears throat> I encourage you to take those, and some of those verses, even just take one, and read it in the first person. And when you're saying, and, and my Lord, not our Lord, or, but my Lord. Um, that you have chosen me, that you chose me before the foundation of the world. And as you start reading those, if you attach that with faith and belief, it will change your life. And it's really a prescription for change for us to begin to walk as sons. As we begin doing that and hearing that, our faith will be encouraged through hearing the word, so reading it out loud. And I'm doing it, it's changing me. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at in your walk that that will change your life. So thank you for letting me take so much time. Love you all.